Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. I'm reading from John chapter 10, from verse 10 to verse 21. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thank you, Martha. Should we give her a great round of applause? Thank you. It is so good to be with us this morning. And um, hasn't God been so amazing already? Really just such a deep sense of Jesus calling us this morning, of him drawing us to gaze on him, come to the altar, come and gaze on Jesus. And this morning, we are going to do just that. We are going to look at Jesus and all that he has done for us as our beautiful and amazing Good Shepherd. Shall we pray together? Lord Jesus, open our eyes to see you in wonder as we were singing earlier. Come, Good Shepherd, come. Come and draw us back to you this morning. Come and open our eyes that we may see you again and see you more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just before I got up, Barry leaned over to me and said, don't forget to smile. Okay, so I'm going to do my best to keep my smile on this morning. (laughs) So you can remind me, okay? (laughs) My face is looking a bit serious. But we are in a series. Can you hear me clearly? Does it sound a bit echoey? All right, we are in a series this morning. Um, As you know, it's the I Am Sayings of Jesus, and we are looking at the fourth of those I Am Sayings, where Jesus, as we read in our passage, comes to us and he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, it's it's World Mental Health Day today, and also we, if you think about it, have been in a time, and if, if ever there has been a time, this last year to two years has been a moment in history where we have remembered our collective, our global, our individual human limitations. But what Jesus is bringing us back to in these I am staying, these definitive claims that he makes about himself, is that although 
Kingdoms may rise and kingdoms may fall. Although the foundations of our society will be shaken, although this life journey will take us through turns and twists that we could never have expected, and although it may produce in us an uncertainty so big in ourselves, our relationships, and the world systems around us. He comes to us and he says to us, over all of that, I am. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am from everlasting to everlasting. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. My character is so dependable and so faithful. I am unshaken. You see, the unique greatness of God and His eternal power stands far above anything within the realm of our own human limitations. And yet, and yet, He does not stand far off, but He comes close like he did this morning again, and he beckons us in and he draws us in to this beautiful and wonderful love relationship with him. And this is what the Good Shepherd is all about. Friends, he came and he laid down his life for us. And he's come to live and walk this walk of life every moment of the way with us. Now, we come up so often, don't we, against our own I am nots. I don't know about you, but when did you last doubt yourself? I did. Even this last week or two. I had kids home sick from school three days out of five. I got sick myself, and I thought, I am not able to prepare this talk. I just thought, can I do it? And you know what? What about you? When did you last doubt yourself? When did you last have thoughts that came to you, or where those thoughts been coming to you to say, hey, criticism and judgment? While we were sitting here this morning, maybe it was before you came, or last night, this last week. Where have you been saying to yourself, I am not enough, qualified, loved, wanted, I am not valuable, likable, strong. Whatever it is, insert there. I am not. And I love the sneak peek we get into Moses' life in this moment where he's having the exact same experience. And it's in Exodus chapter 3. And it's exactly the moment where God introduces himself to us as the I am, to his people as the I am. You may be familiar with the story where there's the burning bush. Well, he thinks it's burning, and Moses goes over to him and realizes, hey, it's not burning, something weird's going on here. And then he hears the audible voice of God. And then this is what God says to him, and I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but he's like, hey, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. You know, that evil, um, really mean, kind of um, cruel and vindictive, power-hungry global leader, you know that one? I want you to go to him the one that's currently enslaving all your countrymen. And just please say to him, excuse me, let my people go. And how does Moses respond? With a whole bunch of big fats, I am not, okay? And I take such courage from this story because Moses, he's having a real God moment here, isn't he? He's like, audible voice of God, 
burning, not burning fire. We're told it is a holy moment. And God speaks to him, and he kind of responds like, um, God, well, I'm not able to do it. You got the wrong guy. I'm sorry. Doubt, reluctance. I, I'm, I'm not even eloquent enough to do the job. But God comes to him, and he says to him, but Moses, I am with you for whatever you face. The I am is with you. And I wanted to take a moment here this morning because I feel that there are some of us here that are facing situations in our lives and we are looking at them and we are saying, I am not. But the Father of heaven, the good shepherd, the great I am comes to you and he says, but I am. There is nothing that your life is facing right now that the I am is not enough. And God wants us to know who he is. He wants to know who is with us. We all know too well who we are and very often where we fall short. But who is it that you say God is? And Jo started the series a few weeks ago and she asked us this question. Who is it that you say I am? Who is it that you say God is? Who is it that you conceive God to be in the deep recesses of your heart? Perhaps you might be unfamiliar about asking this question and perhaps even a little opposed to it. For some of us, perhaps we've begun the journey of thinking a bit about it and for many of us it may be familiar. But for wherever we are on the spectrum, Jesus comes to us and he asks us that question. Who is it that you say I am in the deep places of your heart? Who do you believe and know God to be? A.W. Tozer, who is a... Um, author, some of you may know him. He's written some amazing books as well as a pastor and kind of self-taught theologian. He says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains either a high or a low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do. It's not what you and I just say or do, but what in our deep heart conceive God to be like. We tend like a secret law of the soul towards our mental images of God. What we think about God is the single most important thing about us because it will shape the way we live. It will shape the way in which we relate to him, to ourselves, and to the world around us. We tend by a secret law of the soul toward the mental images of God. And I want to ask you this morning, what mental images of God are you coming out of the last 18 months with? We have all to some degree experienced distress, anguish, strain, difficulty, anxiety, frustration, huge disappointments. And each of these can begin to shape and affect our mental image of who God is and even who we are as ourselves. I spent many hours with people doing just that, finding out what these mental images are of ourselves. And when these thoughts that we begin to have hang around for long enough, they become more embedded in our personhood. And they then begin to shape and become 
the narratives or the stories or the mental images that we begin to believe about God and about ourselves and others. What mental images of God are you coming out of the last 18 months with? You see, Jesus knew this. He knew this about our human character and in his beauty and love for us as the great shepherd. He comes and shows us just exactly who he is. He doesn't leave us guessing. But in today's passage, he comes and shows us exactly who he is as our good shepherd. Now, as we look at this passage in John chapter 10, Jesus begins it by saying, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When Jesus' followers heard this term shepherd, they would have ah, pricked up their ears and they would have had a pretty good sense of what Jesus was referring to. This was a rich metaphor, shepherd, okay? Not so much in modern-day London, okay? We have moved out to the country. We're now a little bit closer to Kent. And I saw sheep this morning on my little walk. I had some sheep blurting in the distance. What do they do? Bawing in the distance. And I thought, Lord, are you talking to me? And no, it was just the sheep bawing in the distance. (laughs) But his followers would have known in the time what exactly it was that Jesus was referring to. And they would have had a rich experience because God often himself referred to himself as a shepherd, a faithful shepherd of his flock. In Isaiah chapter 40, he has an example where God says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And just a note, for those of you who have young or hopefully one day plan to or would like to have young, I just want to say that this verse has been for me like a deep rock in the moments of motherhood in the trenches. God gently leads us with those who have young. But if you look at the scripture as a whole, you see and get a sense of his deep, tender, loving care for us, don't you? How he leads his people so tenderly. Some of us will also be aware of Psalm 23, where The psalmist comes to talk to us about who the great shepherd is. And the Lord is my shepherd. So the hearers at the time, they had a sense, okay, the shepherd is referring to God. We know that that's a reference for that. But also, shepherd was also a reference used for leaders at the time, or leaders of the people of Israel. And there were some good ones. There were some pretty bad ones. It was a bit of a mixed bag. And actually, um, time and again throughout the scripture, Uh, scriptures and often through the prophets, God would come and he would hold his leaders to account for being unfaithful shepherds. Basically, they cared more for themselves and their own interests than they did for loving and nurturing and caring for God's people. And it's in this moment in, in, in John chapter 10 where Jesus is alluding to the same thing. He's bringing the same accusation against the current leaders of his people, of the people of God, the Israelites, at the time in the synagogue. And he says, do you know what? They're a little bit more like a hired hand who don't care for the sheep than they are like a true and a faithful shepherd. <clears throat> and that's because they would hold their own interests at, uh, in, instead of truly loving God's people and leading them in his way. Now, I, I don't know what you think, but I would suggest that this is not too dissimilar from our own 21st century context. We've had political uncertainty, economic crisis, the global outcry against um, um, all sorts of systemic racism and gender violence. And you might have heard of the Edelman Trust Barometer, but essentially what it is, it's a global measure of um, sort of trust in leadership around 
many countries in the world. And they recently just released a report that said this, there is a brewing global distrust in government and media. Perhaps we too might echo that faithful and trustworthy leadership in our generation is also not so easy to find. Now, apart from there being bad leaders, there were also a few that were good, and most noteworthy would be David and Moses. And it was said of David, so this is just a little bit of context as we begin to understand the idea and the moment into which Jesus was speaking. The people would have understood God, um, shepherd as God, a faithful one, other shepherds who had been held to account, but also some good shepherds like David, who, who it was said, shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. Now, in the history of David, we know he literally was a shepherd, okay? He looked after bleating sheep. He knew what it was like to know real little fluffy, moving, four-legged creatures. And actually, it says that he um, risked his life for them, didn't he? He fought lions and he fought bears. So we know that this was a shepherd who had integrity and skill, but also he risked his life to save his sheep. And here's the point to make from all of this, is that it is through David that we begin to see signs and reflections of the true kind of shepherd king that God had in mind for his people. And the listeners in the story would have known about that. They would have known the promise of God for a true shepherd king who would come and lead his people faithfully. Ezekiel 34 says that he will strengthen the weak, the shepherd king that has been promised. He will heal the sick. He will search for the lost. He will rescue them, tend to them, care for them, etc. So there is this poignant promise upon which the hope of all Israel rested for a shepherd king that would come and lead his people in the way of life. And then enter the words of Jesus in our story. When he says, that's me. I am that true shepherd king. I am the good shepherd. And he intentionally here uses those words, I am, those divine, that kind of reference to divine, to point it out to his followers. He's saying, yes, I am here to lead you and care for you and nurture you and tend to you and all those things, but there's more. I'm here to lead you in the way of life, but it's not ordinary life. It is the eternal, forever life of God that I've come to bring you back to. But then he drops a bombshell on his listeners. Can you guess what it is? He says, but the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And this is my first point this morning. The good shepherd lays down his life for you. I mean, just hang on a moment, Jesus. What? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep? Hang on. You've just said you're going to bring us in the way of life. And now you're saying there's death. Okay? It feels a bit contradictory, doesn't it? And we know this contradiction. But here's the key and the crux of what Jesus is saying to us in this moment. Friends, this is the key of who the good shepherd is. Is that what distinguishes Jesus? What distinguishes this good shepherd of ours from every other shepherd in all of history? 
what distinguishes him as good and from every other shepherd is that this good shepherd was on a mission. He was on the greatest rescue mission of all time, and that was to get his lost sheep back. His sheep had abandoned him, but he would not abandon them. No matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, This good shepherd did not consider his deity, his similarity, his equality with God something to be held onto and to be stuck with so we would be relinquishing in our lostness. No, he did not consider equality and deity to be held onto. He didn't cling onto it, but he laid it aside. He set it aside. He had the authority to do so. Philippians 2 says that when the time came, He set aside the privileges of deity and he took on the status of a slave. He became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then he died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that crucifixion. It is in this unthinkable act of God on a cross that we see our good shepherd holy and utterly surrendered to his great love for you and for me. Our shepherd king laid down his life, and upon him, unrestrained evil of all mankind was laid on him. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It was his love. The good shepherd laid down his life in utter abandonment to his love for us. In this grotesque disfigurement of God on a cross, we see his beauty. In the greatest act of the good shepherd laying down his life, we see the divine character of God displayed to us. Friends, it's good, it's pure and unrelenting goodness toward us and love. That same goodness and love that the psalm says in Psalm 23 will pursue you, will come after you, will hunt you down all the days of your life. That love and that goodness of God cannot let you go. This is why we call Jesus our good shepherd. Beautiful, noble, honorable, worthy, worthy, worthy of praise. We were singing that earlier. Worthy of all the praise. Jesus, in this greatest act and gesture of love on our behalf, is showing us what goodness really is all about. And of our good shepherd, it says this in Isaiah chapter 53. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on. He was passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him, 
and people turned away. We looked down on him and we thought he was scum. But in fact, it was our pains that he was carrying. How scum. Our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Jesus took the punishment for your wholeness. Through his bruises, we get healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. The Bible says we've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing and gone our own way. But God has piled all of our sins and every wrong we've done on him. Jesus went to the depths of despair to get us back. Jesus went to the depths of hate and shame to get us wholeness and to get us forgiveness. Jesus went to the depths of sickness to get us healing. I don't know where you are this morning. Is it in a place of hate and shame? Is it in a place of feeling sick or in despair? But Jesus went to the depths to go and get us back. And then he rose again, victorious. Once and for all, Jesus has done it. Our good shepherd has set us free, and we have access to that life of God we read about in the beginning, that full, abundant life. <clears throat> Philippa mentioned this morning about the trade, the great trade that Jesus is doing this morning. And if you have been brokenhearted, you can be healed. Who of have you here? This morning, I'm feeling captive to your emotions. Who's feeling captive to fear? Who's feeling captive to habits? You can be set free. If you are mourning, even there, you can have the oil of Jesus' joy. Now you too even can experience beauty in the places that look a bit more like an ash heap in your life. You can know and experience the beauty of Jesus in those places. This is what goodness looks like. It is the greatest exchange of all time. It is the great shepherd introducing to us this upside-down kingdom that he, he made the way for us. You've got to know, friends, and I just want to say this with everything from my heart, that if the shepherd traversed heaven and hell for you, you are worthy and you are honored. You are worth it. He says, I am your good shepherd and so you are loved, you are cherished, you are honored and you are known by him. When we get a glimpse into the little bit more into the I am, we have a clearer picture of who we are. We can, throw this, we can throw off this morning some of those I am nots and say I am loved and I'm worthy and I'm cherished. People are going to let you down. Your parents might have failed you. Your family might reject you sometimes. Your friends are probably going to drop you at some point in time. Work may overlook you. But don't worry, precious child. Our good shepherd <clears throat> has not, he will not, 
and he can never, ever let you down. So that is our good shepherd who has laid down his life for us and what he has purchased and traded for us on our behalf. The second thing that Jesus mentions to us, the understanding that he gives is that I am your good shepherd, he says, I know you. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Jesus knows you, friends. The salvation that Jesus brings to our life is so personal. The salvation he brought to me was so personal. And I can remember when I was eight years old, <clears throat> my family went through a divorce. And my father left the family home. And actually, he moved away to another city that was like six hours away. And at that moment, I felt like he had left me. And my life, I was that lost sheep slipping into a life of feeling rejected and wondering, was I even worth staying for? But you know what? While I was far away off, my good shepherd saw me. He saw me caught in the thicket of shame, just like he sees many of you now. And he did not leave me alone, no. His love and his goodness, it hounded me, and it came after me. And he sent this lady to my mom's gym, and she came up to her and started talking to her, and she said, you know what? Jesus loves you. You've got pain. He can heal it. You're broken. He can fix it. You feel rejected. He wants you just like he wants every single one of us. And she invited my mom to church. And of course we went because Jesus was calling. And we went to church that Sunday and the next and the next after that. And one day on the 24th of August, the love of Jesus caught up with me. And I can remember my conversation with my mom in the car. We were on our way to church. And I said to my mom, Mom, I want to give my heart to Jesus today. And she was a new Christian. And she looked at me and she said, that's cool. I think you should ask your Sunday school teacher, which I did. <laughs> the salvation of ours is so personal. Friends, what is your story? Jesus calls us himself our personal shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. His knowledge of you is so complete that it says, I will lack nothing. You need not lack anything in your life because he knows you so wholly and completely. This is a deep knowing, not an acquaintance. He knows the specifics and the details of who you are. It is so deep and so so close that it even late in the story describes it as oneness. He sees into you every single part. It's almost as if he is one with you. It's the same kind of knowing that Jesus experiences in his relationship with the Father, a oneness of unity and being fully known and fully loved, and he invites us in to that love relationship to share in the relationship with the divine. That is his great love for us. And the picture that I've had of us for over the last few months is exactly as we read this morning. Jesus is calling us. Sometimes we lose our way and we begin to feed off other pastures. We live in the world with so many bleating and diverse voices that we get a sense, we get a bit confused of who we are and who God is. And we stray into different pastures. Some of us this morning are living in the pasture of fear. Some of us are feeding off the pasture of counterfeit love the pasture of low self-worth and unforgiveness. Come back. Jesus is beckoning you. In his pasture, you are wholly known and wholly loved. And there is the great trade where he has paid it all. Jesus knows you. And secondly, Jesus knows the way. It says in Psalm 23 that he will lead us along the right path. 
quickly here, I have a picture of, <coughs> let's have a, a look. Ta-da! It's not a Picasso, I know you're wondering. But this is a picture of my little five-year-old, from my little five-year-old Zoe. Now tell me, any guesses, I'd love to hear from you, what do you think it is? A rainbow. A rainbow? Pretty good. Yeah. A flood. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, a flood, a rainbow after the flood. Any other ideas? The universe. Okay, I love this interpretive sort of understanding. It's brilliant. Well, you guys did way better than me because I was a little bit like, wow, it's so interesting, darling. And um, I asked her, well, what is it? And she said, mommy, yes, that's a rainbow. Thanks, Nick. It's down at the bottom. And then she said, and that over there, can you see it, is a shooting star. And all of those, it's the rain falling and the dots are just for prettiness because it makes the picture look good. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that sometimes you just got to get to the originator and the author of the design to help give you a bit of direction about what's going on and where you are going. All right. And actually, Jesus knows the way. Hebrews 2 says he is the author, the originator. He is the pioneer of our faith. He has walked this road perfectly. He has finished it to the end. He knows what's at ahead of us. He has gone ahead of us. He knows the way. And he knows you. You don't get a better guide than that. Come to Jesus. Let him be your, your direction. The third and, and just final is that he knows you. He knows the way. But he also knows just what you need. Psalm 23 says that, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. We could quote this, some of us, off by heart. Sung it at school, perhaps even. Jesus has both provision and peace for your day. I don't know what's in your day. We often don't know what's in our day. But your shepherd knows. He knows what's coming today and this afternoon. And sometimes we just don't have what it takes for our day. And we know that before we've even left the door, you can ask me when I'm doing the school run. And I'm trying to get 20th time saying, please put your school shoes on. It can feel tough sometimes. But he knows just what you need. Come to your shepherd. Let his voice wash over you. Let him pasture your heart in peace. And let his living waters sustain you. He knows just what you need every single day. His mercies are new every morning. Max Lucado puts it like this. If you have the shepherd, you have grace for every sin. Direction for every turn, a candle for every corner, and an anchor for every storm. You have everything you need. What are you wrestling with at the moment in your life? What are you striving with? What battle are you fighting today? Bring it back to the Lord. The battle belongs to Him. Sometimes we are just so busy with life, with what's in our hands. We can be a little bit like the boy with the five loaves and the two fish. You know, there we are, we've got our little five loaves, our two fish, and we're trying to make it work to feed all the thousands of demands in our day. And the one thing we do is forget to bring it to Jesus. That's all that was required. It's him who does the multiplying. It's him who brings the miraculous. Bring your little loaves and bring your little fish and bring it all to Jesus regularly and allow him to give you what you need. Our response to this amazing good shepherd, he knows us, he knows the way, and he knows what we need. And our response, he says in John chapter 15, this is my command, love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. 
Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. Simply said, more difficult to live. But he simply asks us to go and do what he has done. Go and love others. Call the stranger your friend. And let not out of duty, not out of responsibility. That's just hard work. Ask me, I've tried. I know we all have. It's a bit like flapping your arms to try and fly like a bird and get off the ground. It's lots of hard work. There's absolutely zero power and no impact. You don't go anywhere. But Jesus says, come to me. No, loving people like me and loving people like you <laughs> and loving people like everybody else there is going to take a little bit more supernatural help than what we've got to offer. Come and get filled with the love of your shepherd because it's as, he, as we come to him and we get filled with him, we hang out with him, just let him love you as he did this morning and love you and love you and love you. <clears throat> it is the one place of earth, on earth where I say that you are wholly known and you are wholly loved. And it's waiting for you every single day. I love it especially when my girls, and I wonder if the band could come up and join us on the stage. I love it especially when my girls come up to me and they come and climb onto my lap and they come and cuddle mummy. And they come and nuzzle their little heads into my neck and have a good old squeeze. And then they want to run off and go and play and they run on off and they go and play. And <clears throat> then they come back around to me. And you know what? When they come close to me again, I can smell my perfume on their hair. And here's the thing. It's similar to when we get with Jesus. Come and nuzzle up to Jesus. Spend time regularly just being with him and let him love you. And who knows, day by day, you may smell just a little bit more like him to others. Be that God fragrance to the world. And who knows, you might just be partnering with the Good Shepherd to bring some of those others that aren't yet in the fold back in. This morning, <clears throat> we have been thinking about our Good Shepherd. <clears throat> he started by calling us and drawing us back to him, to the altar, to know who he is, the great exchange. And I wonder, maybe we can stand together this morning. The band's going to lead us in a song. We see in Jesus the ultimate true good shepherd. Friends, there's nothing he's left undone in your life. What is undone in your life? There is nothing he has left undone. He offered up his life to rescue us. What situations are you facing right now that you need to know your good shepherd? Perhaps you need to bring some of your I am nots to him today. Maybe you've been feeding on different pastures. He doesn't come with criticism and judgment. The Bible says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Let his kindness draw your heart this morning to repent and to allow his love to fill your heart. We're going to sing a song now. And why don't we make that song our prayer? And just allow the Good Shepherd to come and draw us back into that love space that He has provided for us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have already done. Thank you this morning for how you've been calling us and drawing us. 
And I pray now that as we sing, let our hearts response come up to you, Lord. Come, good shepherd. Walk among us. Pasture our hearts in peace. Let us know your love. And let your forgiveness come and wipe away every place, Lord, that is me.